In late January of this year, a picture started circulating on social media of a sign, allegedly erected by the government, depicting a shadowy runner with the words next to him, no helmet equals no run. The sign required joggers to wear a helmet, warn joggers of trip hazards, slippery surfaces and collisions, and recommended that joggers log their run at a website www.logyourjog.gov.au. The sign was in fact real, although it was ultimately revealed that it had been erected by a local prankster rather than the local council. Responses on social media ranged from disbelief to resignation. Seemingly, the most prevalent attitude among commentators referenced the perceived nanny state and the death of personal responsibility, with some noting that this development was unsurprising in light of the enactment of the New South Wales state government's controversial lockout laws. Hello and welcome to Trial by Podcast, a monthly recording by the solicitors at McCabe's Lawyers. My name is Vanessa Turner. I'm a solicitor in the insurance team here at McCabe's. One such issue our team might deal with is the supposed helmet-wearing law. Such a scenario, whether hypothetical or real, gives rise to the topic of this episode's discussion. Do you have to wear a helmet when you go for a run? We will be discussing if, from a legal perspective, it may not be too much longer before we start to see these signs on our local streets. Could it be possible that a council could force joggers to wear a helmet? And if they don't, could they be held liable to injured joggers under the Civil Liability Act 2002? The law, as it stands today in the Civil Liability Act 2002, imposes a duty of care on potential defendants to take precautions against a risk of harm where the risk of harm is foreseeable, not insignificant, and a reasonable person in the same position would have taken those precautions. A classic example of risk of harm, which is the subject of a significant personal injury litigation in New South Wales, is a pool of water on a shopping centre floor or a pothole in a shopping centre car park, of which the centre should have been aware and should have ensured procedures were in place to avoid the occurrence of these risks. However, the Civil Liability Act also states that there is no liability for a potential defendant where the plaintiff suffers harm as a result of an obvious risk. An example of an obvious risk could be a large, brightly painted pole on the sidewalk, which a person crashes into and suffers harm. The Act requires a person to take care for their own safety and assumes that a person will be on the lookout for such dangers. So, how can these principles apply to joggers running on public land? As a general rule, a potential defendant, including a public authority, such as a local council, owes a duty to take reasonable care to users of its land, and this can include putting up warning signs advising of potential dangers, such as a steep and sudden bend in the road or unknown depth of a body of water. Sometimes, the type of activity in which a person is participating can affect whether a defendant needs to warn of danger. For example, if an activity is classified as a dangerous recreational activity, participating in that activity will itself involve taking an obvious risk. There is no duty to warn of an obvious risk. Although jogging would count as a recreational activity under the Civil Liability Act, it would be unlikely to meet the threshold of dangerous recreational activity, and therefore the usual defence, which provides that there is no liability where a person suffers harm from participation in a dangerous recreational activity, would not be available. This is an important consideration as we eventually move to the question of helmets and their place in this conversation. (laughs) 
When looking at the duty of care owed by councils to persons using public land, courts have found that the magnitude, obviousness and the foreseeability of a risk will inform a public authority's decision to put up a warning sign, such as that which is the subject of this podcast. This has been discussed in a number of relevant decisions. In the 2005 case of Vary and Waungshire Council, the High Court recognised that there are a number of possible risks and dangers which may exist on council lands and therefore which they should take into consideration. However, as a result of the sheer magnitude of possible dangers and the limited resources which a council has to address these dangers, the courts recognise that not all risks can be cautioned against or avoided. In the 2002 case of Richmond Valley Council and Standing, involving a woman who tripped on an uneven concrete surface in broad daylight, the New South Wales Court of Appeal held that a duty of care depended on whether there was a reasonably foreseeable risk of harm to a pedestrian exercising reasonable care for their own safety while going about their daily business. Crucially, the Court of Appeal found that although the council owed a duty of care to pedestrians, this was not a foreseeable risk of injury for a pedestrian who was exercising reasonable care for her own safety. The court commented on the pedestrian's excellent position to observe imperfections in the surface and noted that the imperfections in the pavement ought to have been as obvious to the pedestrian as any other feature of the landscape, such as raised tree roots in the ground. Factors which may have detracted from the ability of the pedestrian to exercise reasonable care could have included bad lighting or concealment of the hazard, none of which were relevant in this case. Another example here would be if you were listening to music or looking at your phone. You might not be exercising reasonable care for your own safety and therefore might not be able to bring a claim as a result of uneven pavement. The Court of Appeal's position in the matter of Richmond Valley Council was again upheld in the 2012 case of Plaskett and Pittwater Council. This case again involved a woman who tripped and fell on an uneven concrete path in which there was a difference in colour between the two surfaces. Again, the New South Wales Supreme Court found that a reasonable person in the position of the woman ought to have been aware of the risk that the concrete slabs could have been different in height and that this risk would have been obvious to a reasonable person in the woman's position. No negligence was found to exist on part of the council. These cases show that a person is expected to exercise reasonable care for their own safety, and if they fail to do so and suffer injury as a result of a risk that would have been obvious to them had they been taking reasonable care, a court will rarely find that there has been a breach of duty of care on part of a defendant. So, where does this leave us on the question of whether joggers need to wear helmets? Even if that sign was a prank, does it have real-life applications? In addition to the qualifications already discussed, councils have the benefit of Part 5 of the Civil Liability Act, which requires that a court, when deciding whether a duty of care exists or if there has been a breach of that duty, have regard to the limited financial and other resources available to public authorities, together with the range of functions which they are required to exercise. So, despite the perception by some members of the general public that the nanny state is well and truly alive, the defences available to public authorities, together with the court's consistent determination that persons should exercise reasonable care for their own safety as they go about their daily life, 
we can conclude that the likelihood of a public authority ever requiring joggers to wear helmets for reasons associated with liability exposure is somewhat negligible. However, there may be other socio-economic or even political considerations which could one day bring about these type of laws for helmets on joggers. For example, in the 1990s, Australia became the first country to legislate the wearing of bicycle helmets, and this topic remains contentious even today. That's all we have time for today. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Trial by Podcast, a show hosted by McCabe's lawyers, examining the weird and wonderful world of law and some of the more fascinating issues that affect our lives and those around us. And if you haven't done so already, I recommend you listen to the first four episodes of this show, which are also available for download. Our most recent episode was Director's Duties, What Are Your Obligations?, and was hosted by three of my colleagues in the litigation division at McCabe's. Please review us on iTunes, via the podcast app on your phone, or whatever other platform on which you subscribe to podcasts, as this will help other law students and lawyers find and enjoy the show, just as you have hopefully enjoyed this show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month. Music